I want to start a military recruiting company someday. I know a little bit about the military. I know absolutely nothing about the way that people actually get jobs in the workforce. In fact, I'm really bad at it because I keep getting rejected from companies like technology companies here because I'm applying for the wrong roles and not telling my story in a compelling way. Welcome to Find Your Mission. I'm actor and activist Melissa Fitzgerald. This podcast will bring you into the lives of United States veterans and guide you along on their journey from private citizen to service to entrepreneur. You'll learn from these men and women how they handled the trials and tribulations of service and how they applied those same lessons to new ventures when they left the military and tried their hands at business. I hope these journeys inspire you to push yourself further, believe in your goals, and maybe find your own mission. Thank you to our friends at WeWork, Veterans in Residence, a WeWork and Bunker Labs partnership. Veterans in Residence is a highly selective six-month startup incubator and leadership program. It provides veteran and military family member entrepreneurs the community business support, and workspace to help launch and grow their businesses. Find your tribe. Create your life's work. Learn more at we.co slash veterans. That is we.co slash veterans, or click on the link in the show notes. Also, thank you to our friends at Dell Small Business. There are very few jobs as high pressure as the one Mike was teaching. Improvised explosive devices, or IEDs, are a favorite weapon of enemy combatants, and they have caused the death and injury to too many people to count. Disarming IEDs is critical to the safety of not just the troops, but the communities in the places where boots were on the ground. Mike had been in the Navy's Explosive Ordnance Disposal Unit for a while, and now he was training local military units in Guatemala the proper methods of disarming the bombs they would be encountering. In the middle of the lesson, an email came in from his wife who was pregnant with the couple's first child. Mike looked at the screen and read the words, We're having a baby today. He was elated, But he was also devastated, because although he tried, there was no way he'd be able to make it to his wife in time to see his son born. After his tour ended, and on his way back to his wife and new baby, Mike couldn't shake the feeling that maybe it was time he tried to do something else. The Explosive Ordnance Disposal, a.k.a. the EOD, was made up of creative problem solvers, which Mike related to, and he loved the challenges they had to prepare for. They had to train for all types of scenarios, from deep sea diving, to parachuting out of an aircraft, to deploying to an active war zone. They had to understand all manner of technology, from the most sophisticated to the most rudimentary, and know all the ways to disarm bombs. Then, when they encountered a bomb, they had to decide the best and safest way to go about disposal. 
every day was high pressure. And the stakes were even higher when you are in charge of young men and women and become responsible not just for their training, but helping them with their lives outside of work. It was hard, but it was immensely rewarding. But they were professionals, and the thing that they value the most is problem solving and the ability to think non-linearly. The analogy you, you hear here and there is like out of 10 ways to disarm a bomb, there's nine of them that reliably work. And then of those nine, five are a lot safer than the other four. <laughs> and so as long as you pick one of those five pathways that's safe and reliably works and you can explain your thinking, no one's going to second guess you. No one's going to fault you for that thinking. And so, you know, there wasn't necessarily a black and white answer to everything. And that creativity and problem solving could be something of great value in military service. So when Mike got an email to deploy again, he was torn. Sure, he could do one more deployment. He could serve longer. But what was he risking if he did re-up? Ultimately, he chose to leave the service in order to be present with his family on a more full-time basis. The decision was tough. But he was ready to transition from being an officer into a new career. Mike was interested in technology, so he and his family moved to California. But he struggled to find a job or even an opportunity to meet and connect with people. And when he did, he felt lost trying to sell himself and his skills to potential employers. He had no industry-specific experience. At least, that's how it felt. I moved to San Francisco. I was running out of money. I had a family had no job, no source of income, and I was interviewing to be an executive recruiting associate just to learn something about the world of, of recruiting. You see, he wasn't the only veteran who was struggling to make the transition to a new industry after leaving the service. Despite the best efforts of the government to prepare service members and to try to introduce them to companies, Many of these veterans have a difficult time navigating the career transition. And, like Mike, they don't know how to go about finding opportunities. You look at the outside world, and I guess like a microcosm for that's like San Francisco. And you, you know, you're looking on Twitter, you're looking on LinkedIn and Facebook, and you're seeing all these great community events happening. You're seeing these panel discussions. You're seeing this vibrant startup ecosystem and then you come visit here like I did on like just on like a weekend one weekend as an active duty service member and it's just like crickets it was like well where where's all this stuff happening and you very very much feel like you're on the outside looking in and then so it's like you look at this world and it just feels like a speeding train there was a need here Mike Slaw knew it because he faced it himself and so when his former roommate from the Naval Academy asked Mike to join him for an MBA recruiting trip for tech companies in Silicon Valley, he finally saw his opportunity to create something. Coming up next, hear the rest of the story about how Mike started SHIFT, a hiring pipeline for veterans that offers career advice, fellowship opportunities, and more.
WeWork and Dell want to help entrepreneurs reach their goals. No matter your technology needs, Dell Small Business Technology Advisors are ready to help with advice, dedicated one-on-one partnership, and tailored tech solutions like computers, servers, storage, plus thousands of top brand electronics, accessories, and software. To speak with an advisor today, call 877-BY-DELL. That's 877-BY-DELL. Welcome to Find Your Mission. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we are at WeWork, downtown San Francisco, on Mission Street. What a great name, Street. Mike, what's up? Great to be here, Ian. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's really good. To, yeah, seriously. We go, uh, I mean, not way back, but we go back. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and it's fun to be sitting here talking about Shift uh, and your background. I'm seeing this incredible comprehension across folks who are separating from the military, starting to get super active on platforms like LinkedIn, starting to understand that, you know, the only thing that's probably standing in the way between them and getting their first job that might be a great fit is acquiring a bunch of industry specific context, being able to have this conversation amongst peers with folks in a new industry is just talking to a bunch of people, starting to refine your story and starting to hear the things that they're saying in the conversation. Like if we're talking about uh, a specific in- thing, like we're talking about like the future of media or like what's up with the podcast industry, uh, I'm gonna talk to you about this for the first time. And like, I'm not gonna know almost anything that you're saying. You're talking about ABMs and I, I think you've listed off a few other three letter <laughs> acronyms there uh, when we were chatting, but uh, you know, by the second conversation, I know what that means. And by the third, I'm getting better. And by the literally 40th or 50th conversation, we might be, you know, you, you might be like, okay, this guy noticed what he's talking about. And I can take a bet on this guy here. That DM literally changed your life. Were you getting the inkling that something like shift needed to be happened back then? Oh, definitely. I thought that, and I'm sure that's what the military looks like to other folks on the outside looking at the military and they can see, you know, they watch Netflix and they, maybe they have a connection to somebody who served, but for folks who are leaving the military, imagine being on base and going into this big aircraft hangar and there's a career fair happening, a job expo. And <laughs> there's companies lined up around, you know, in this big hangar and they're telling you what culture is like at their company. They're telling you what it's like to work there. And we all know why they're there. Like they, you know, someone paid them to come on base and to, you know, go share the gospel of, you know, whatever company they're representing. And for you, for somebody who's leaving the military, even though you know you have to, like, I think this is you know, part of the challenge sometimes is like, you know, you have to go, but you don't know what to do next. And that feels pretty high stakes. And the anxiety level is like at an all time high. And if somebody is telling you what culture is like, you don't want to be told, you want to feel it for yourself. Tiny, small, dumb things like just seeing how fast people are moving around the office. Uh, are people hanging out at the water cooler? Do people like working here? Stuff like that. Is this a company where people are excited about the mission, where people can see what the road ahead might hold and, and just, you know, see what's valued and see, you know, everybody needs something different. Like, I don't think we'll ever see 
a career change platform that feels like TurboTax. And I remember the time when I went to my first hiring fair when I was getting out and there's all these booths and all these people. And I was like, they're all here for me. This is incredible. Like, this is the coolest thing. Oh man, I was, I was on the opposite side of the spectrum for that. I was like, just, it just felt like I was on the outside looking in and I felt like I definitely see it from your perspective. And I know that there's there's like, you're like, okay, everyone lined up here and now I've got access to everybody at once. It's like eating at a buffet where there's all these options. <laughs> you're you're going to get full. And it's like, and then you're going to be like, man, that filet mignon did look good. I should have done that. Each person, just like each startup is their, you know, is their own unique zero to one experience. And going from the military to your first job happens once in your life. And you have so much pressure on yourself to get it right. That's right. And what you realize is that it's just the first step in an extremely long journey. Oh my goodness. You know? And so, and I'm curious, like when you came out here and you saw this uh, and you wanted to replicate it, uh, which is the same thing that happened for me when I was going to all of these events in the basements of Silicon Valley venture capitalist places and meeting all these cool people. And my thought every time was like, we have to share this with the rest of the military community. They have to know. Yeah. Like you, you, if you're sitting in Michigan, you just don't have access to this talk right now from the former VP of product of Netflix. That's right. He's sharing lessons that are so cutting edge and we don't have access to that. Um, and it's funny that I made a media company and you, and you, and you made a telling pipeline, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> to, to do that. Interesting how that worked out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that like, that's the sort of thing where it's like when you're in that moment and you're like, this is the highest, most needy place I've ever been in my life is like, and I have no idea what to do. Yeah. And you need something. And like every one of us feels that and you decided to do something about it. Yeah. I think that's the interesting thread, how when people are like exasperate, like think about when people start businesses, like in the typical sense, they're like, I have an entrepreneurial spirit. I've always felt like there's a little bit of entrepreneurialism in my blood. My grandma owned a toy store in rural Michigan for like 50 years. And I grew up run, cool. running the cash register, you know, the turn of the century, the internet became a thing, you know, running a mom and pop toy store in rural Michigan became an unsustainable business. We sold all the inventory on eBay. I was a power seller on eBay when I was 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's been these like little experiences where, you know, looking back on it, you're like, okay, I, I see why I ended up doing this thing that I did and decided to take action uh, and, and solve a, a big problem. Ended up getting, you know, that first check to start shift. And it's just crazy how like you're, your life can just, you know, flip so fast. And so all this sort of like narrative or like what led to this point. Yeah. Like I, I definitely see how I was entrepreneurial at an early age, but like when you're running out of money and you need a job, you're not like, but I was a power seller on eBay, so I should start a company. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Uh, one of the, one of the first episodes that we did, our first ever guest for a podcast admission, Ellen Petrie Lenz, uh, gave us one of the best pieces of advice. And she said, um, early in your career, you're trying to connect the dots, but you haven't made the dots yet. Yeah. And like early in your career, the, what you're supposed to be doing is just making dots. Yep. And 
the impact that you have on other people and how you do that and the way you go about things and the way you have an impact and ultimately drive value for the companies, like that's how you make the dots. And then later on down the line, you're like, oh, all of these things did lead me to this place yeah. because I have all these different things. Yeah. Very much feel that right now, but still very much feel like it's just the beginning. Like it's like very early days. But then you, you, you look back and you just you think about how ideas can progress and, and I'm, I'm definitely um, guilty of this as well. When I'm looking at a business idea or, or looking at like problems to be solved, you know, always looking for the biggest market you can possibly find. Yeah. Like, is this a, is this problem like a societal challenge? Like, is this one of the most important problems of our time to solve? Like, I'd love to see more vets attacking problems like that. Well, like, I, that's a dream of mine to like help more vets work on like big, thorny societal issues. And I think some of the things that people kind of get wrong when they look for big problems is they look for like big problems by total addressable market instead of looking at big problems by impact on the human being. Like mm. the people who go through shift will remember Mike for the rest of their lives. Like think about that, right? So for I, the so rest I, of their life. Yeah. So I, I was, I was, I was just having a conversation with a teammate earlier today in that I mean, it's not Mike, it's not, it's them. It's the career coach. It's the, the, the person who's helping a service member think through their options. They're doing this discovery process, narrowing things down from 10,000 things that work down to 10 possible things to really go deep and explore. And those sort of like ripple effects of helping somebody solve just a small, you, you know, the, the career coach thinks it's like a small thing, but it's like, the hardest thing that person on the other side of the phone call is like working through right now. They've been thinking about it all day. They've been, they woke up in the middle of the night and they were staring at the ceiling. Should I ask for, you know, a 5k raise or a 10k raise? Should I, you know, go back home to South Carolina or should I hit the big city in New York, get, you know, one year of experience under my belt, then come back and make double in South Carolina you know, after I've got this, you know, big city reputation. Should I ask for senior in front of my name? Exactly. Or, yeah. and, and so like, I think that's what you, it's, you know, sounds crazy, but it's kind of easy to lose sight of these things. But like those ripple effects, like if you're working on a problem that actually makes people's lives better, uh, like you're helping them get a job. Like the first time you help somebody get a job that they didn't, they would not have had access to otherwise, that is why we're doing this. Like, like that is a, like you've probably helped internally refer somebody or prepare somebody. And it didn't feel like you were doing this like life or death high stakes thing at all. You're like, Oh man, I got to hit up my buddy at this company and I'm going to do a good job and put some effort into telling why this person might be a good fit. And then I'm going to take an, you know, a little extra time to prep them on a phone call and then they actually get the job. And you're like, okay, like that felt really, really good. And, and for me, that was, you know, I was thinking about a whole bunch of stuff when I left the military, but that was the common thread for me when people got jobs because I had just maybe a little bit of like influence in the process. That was, that was very addictive. And, and but, it, but it also was just like, you know, you help somebody get a job and it's not like they say thanks and move on. If you want, they'll like help you out 10 years from now and, and they'll, you know, they're your fan for life. And it's, when you're a career coach working a shift, you're helping hundreds of people on a monthly basis who are going to remember your name five years from now. What's that going to be like? I don't even know. I think it's going to be pretty awesome. 
I want to talk about this idea of, you know, do what doesn't scale. I think you did something like this from the early days that absolutely doesn't scale literally, but it scales in theory, which was you built an email list that you were sending. Uh, it, was, it was every week. Yeah. Was it? Every week. And I remember getting it and it was like five open job opportunities. And you were like, these are open right now for a military veteran. I will personally refer you. And I just remember thinking this is genius because <laughs> you need the, 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 I call them micro pipelines, but the micro pipelines from candidate to hiring manager is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. And I was like, Mike just gets this. So I'm curious, like, what was it like doing that? Were there moments where you're like, How, I cannot believe I have to do all these referrals? Were you sad, angry, happy? What was it like? Well, first of all, thanks for remembering that. <laughs> I think that was like a super, uh, super important journey at the start of Shift where pre-fellowship program, uh, which is our main effort today, which we can talk about in a minute, but trying to figure it out. Like, how do you get people with non-traditional backgrounds hired into companies that don't have some sort of formal veteran hiring effort in place? How do you get vets into tech companies and for sure have expanded beyond you know tech companies and pretty much every company is starting to reimagine themselves a little bit as a tech company, but it's all about access. And you know, there's part of this like, you know, polish prep, sort of like finishing school stuff that I, you know, didn't have the resources or, I mean, I definitely had the bandwidth back in the day, but I, you know, I didn't have the resources to, to, to do much more than I was doing, but yeah, I would, I was trying to figure out how do you connect the dots on both sides? What are the friction points? What's the bottleneck? And so we had to send out one email a week to vets. Here, here are three to five jobs where I have gone and talked to a hiring manager at a company. I walked to Flexport or I got on a phone with a friend at Facebook or I walked over to LinkedIn and I said, hello, vet in the veteran employee resources group. If I feature this post on the job board, which I think is a pretty good fit for vets, product operations or program management or, you know, junior business development. If I put this, this, this link up here and some people want to do it, will you at least take a look at them and internally refer them if they look like a good fit. I said, yeah, sure. That's no problem. And then I would send that email out on a Monday. I would look at some of the analytics and I would see that there, there are people on this email list that were literally opening it 300 times in a single week. Yeah. And it wasn't rocket science. It's just people need context. It was like, here's a product operations role at Dropbox. Here's what product operations actually is. You are a person who sits on a product team. There's going to be some requirements that your product manager needs to track. You're going to help make sure that things stay on deadline, ahead, you know, under budget. Everybody has what they need to be successful. Kind of sounds like a platoon sergeant. Kind of sounds like uh, some of the things that like junior military officers do. Highly translatable, highly transferable. And then I would look at that list. And on the other side, I would take those three people who opened the email the most, I'd shoot him in a message. I said, Hey, would you, would you mind if I like featured your profile to employers? Are you currently open to new opportunities? And like most of the time it was like, Oh yeah, definitely. And so I would feature those top three people, you know, here's, here's Jamie. 
She's a naval naval flight officer. Here's what that means in civilian terms. Here's Ricardo. He's a munitions specialist. Here's what that means and what he can do today. Here are the types of roles that he might be a fit for. And then I would turn around and all those hiring managers who I've been meeting and talking to and just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of coffee meetings. I've had an email list of all of them too. And every single person who was featured on that email list got several interviews. I would say dozens and dozens of people got jobs. Just two email lists. I would send one on Monday. I sent one on Thursday. And after doing that for a year, I knew exactly what types of jobs veterans wanted, but also could get. And I knew what types of ways to describe a military profile resonated and which ways didn't. And so that was like a foundational thing. And it almost like sounds small looking back on it. But, you know, I, I get these like experiences all the time where I'm like at a happy hour or on a podcast and someone's like, I used to get that email. Once you kind of realize like, wow, I think this is our product. Then you have the other moment of, I have to go sell this to someone. And that's the moment where your military bells and whistles start going off and you go, am I a charlatan? Like I'm making up something from scratch that doesn't exist. Right. I'm going to sell it to someone for money and I'm, and they're just going to trust me to do what I say. And you feel weird because you're like, this doesn't like make sense. Why would they trust me? Did you feel that? Yeah. I, I think that for whatever reason, I felt the exact opposite. And I think that's like one of the only, I wouldn't say the only things, but like I see a lot of folks who are starting a business and they're very protective about it, very secretive, very private. And part of it's, you know, because they're legitimately worried that like somebody's going to copy it and the IP is valuable. That's fine. No, no worries there. But if, and many times it's like, I haven't made enough progress yet, or I'm still fleshing it out. And I think that there's, you know, there's a difference between like just, you know, throwing something up on the internet and say like, I started a company um, versus projecting yourself in a professional way that people can look at. Like there's you know, very little effort is required to get to this place where externally maybe it looks a little bit bigger than it actually is under the surface. But that's similar to, you know, when you're getting something off the ground, you have to get people to believe, you have to get people to buy in. You know, when we think about people learning about Shift or referring other folks over to our program, like a lot of vets don't like ask Google what to do next or they don't, you know, you know, ask Glassdoor. Like it's kind of hard to make a really like data driven and, and like decision and that's like personal to yourself. Like, again, like we're all these like impossibly complex human beings. And there really is no magic pill. There's no algorithm that's going to say, uh, well, what was your MOS? Oh, uh, 42 Bravo. Yeah. There's no algorithm that's going to say like, oh, 42 Bravo. You, here's the five jobs that like, they're makes, the only five, five jobs that you can do. Right? Makes no sense. Yeah. Because so it's then, like, where's the, like, where's your experience level? How many, like, how long have you been a 42 Bravo? What's your personality like? What are your preferences? Do, how do you rack and stack location, salary, industry, and role against each other? How do you prioritize what's most important to you? And it just turns out that 
preferences and personality are super important to future career happiness. And so when we think about like, what could technology do for us as career changers? How could that, how could that augment us? How could that give us superpowers? Like it points us in the right direction. And there really is no magic pill and we still have to go and do the work ourselves. There's, there's like a much smaller gap between not starting a company and starting a company than people necessarily realize. A much smaller gap of like being, have someone with a non-traditional background and executing this crazy dynamic career change. One of the women in our program was building munitions for the Air Force on a Friday, three months after on-the-job training at a big data technology company in Silicon Valley, customer success manager. What's the common ground between those two things? You know, the algorithms would say that there's a wide gulf of difference between that, but really it's something that's very, very narrow, but it's a very, very deep chasm and it's called industry specific context, being able to have that conversation amongst peers, being able to talk the talk. And once you're there and your story makes sense to somebody else on the other side of the table, you've at least got a shot. You're not convincing an algorithm to give you a job. You're convincing another human being. So what was it like when you were sitting across from Jeff Jordan, uh, famous partner at Andreessen Horowitz, convincing him to invest in the little engine that could, your little company shift that you thought could make a huge difference? Yeah, it was, it was super intimidating at first. It was a really challenging thing to tell investors or talk about a vision where service members can leave base, travel to the city where they want to live. They're going to be on temporary duty orders the whole time. We're going to find companies who want to hire vets so much that they're going to pay us to implement these programs. And a service member who was on active duty on a Friday, they're leaving Fort Sill, traveling, landing in you know Soma, San Francisco on a Monday. They're going to be set up for success. They're going to have housing figured out. They're going to be able to be in an environment where they can potentially thrive 90 to 120 days from now. That all sounded like, I mean, just thinking back, my God, I, I'm, <laughs> it's like, there's a lot of moving pieces there. But if it could work, if the system could get figured out, then there's something interesting there. And for sure, there's a very heavy software component to shift in what we're building, but it's just such a heavy operational business. And it's, it's very much like a marketplace. There's people who want to participate in these opportunities. And there's people who are open to hosting these folks and these opportunities. And I think where the conversation with Jeff turned a little bit was we were talking about, you know, what kind of companies are hosting shift military fellows. I rattled off a few names and I didn't even like, this sounds so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Uh, like, I didn't even know that I listed uh, Okta and Affirm too. Yep. And like, really successful and recent portfolio companies. Is the, company. <laughs> it's the first investment. Yeah. You know, Jeff's on his, uh, you know, big iPad pro on the other side of the table and I see he's tap, tapping away and, and, and I think he's taking notes, but he's emailing the CEO of Okta and he's emailing the CEO of a firm, Max Levchin. And he's asking like, what's, what's up with this? Is this real? Is this fake? Is this actually working? And by the end of the 30 minutes that I had with Jeff on that day, 
both CEOs had gotten back to him and said thumbs up. And that's really the, you know, one of the things that got us to the next meeting, to the full partnership meeting where I was not expecting to see, walk in and see 20 people sitting around the table. (laughs) But I think that's the, you know, the way to show that something's working is to have these success stories. And part of it's got to be vision, but part of it's got to be real. You know, whether it's we're helping people get jobs or some other idea, how, how does it become really real to that person sitting on the other side of the table? It is more important to have one customer that absolutely loves you and believes in you than it is to have three that are so-so. And one of those customers that really believed with you, one of those partners that really believed in you is WeWork. It's awesome. And obviously the sponsor of this show. Um, but what what has been your your experience working with WeWork you know, for a long time now? There is certainly like something going on at WeWork right now where internally it's not a diversity and inclusion initiative. Like it's not an initiative where they're trying to meet like federal contracting requirements to get enough veterans on staff. Like they're in this like third category of companies that understand that there are like certain roles in the organization that just work really well with military backgrounds. And when we think about where we're finding the most success with these on-the-job training programs that we work right now, you know, they have buildings and they have, you know, a huge community of people inside of them. And whether it's, you know, community leadership, community management, you know, there's some of these buildings in New York City that have 3,000 members who are coming and going. It's like 10 battalions of people. (laughs) They're coming to work every day. And like, and like, that's a major production day in and day out. We have one of our military fellows he was a sergeant major in the army, served for 21 years. He's going to run one of these WeWork buildings in this on-the-job training program. And by the end of it, he's going to get a full-time offer. And that's going to be his thing. He's, he's going to own this building in New York City. And I think about like what the future looks like for this guy. And it's like, you know, that seems like a big idea right now. But what's, what's going to happen is like, Six months from now, he's going to get promoted to like a director role. He's going to run like three buildings and it's going to be a regional thing. And I think that's like, like some of the power when an on-the-job training opportunity works, it really works. It's, all, it's re- very difficult to like line up all the pieces. Like it feels like we're threading a, ne- uh, you know, a thread through like eight different needleheads, timeline, location, salary, industry. Does the company want to work with you? Uh, does it align with their needs? But when all those things line up in parts of those chunks of the process we've been able to compress a little bit with software when that all lines up you've got people who are promoting two or three times in their first 18 months on the job and that's like a radically different concept for military service members who might look at uh, a salary and say hard pass like that's five grand less than i was making in the military but if you get into an environment where you leave base travel to the city where you want to live, you get your housing situation figured out, you understand like what works, what doesn't inside of an organization. You get all this like early few months awkwardness on the job stuff out of the way during your, while you're in this like protected class of being a fellow and you understand what success looks like in the organization. You understand, 
you know, all the other people around who can help you out. And then you start your first day on the job. Like you are somebody who is utterly enabled to be successful in that environment. And so it's no surprise. And you see people get promoted two or three times in the first 18 months because they are running downhill. And I think, you know, to your point about the ecosystem play, the great thing about WeWork is with the veterans in residence program, you have actual veteran business owners that are looking for talent. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to get talent that when you have the community manager of WeWork, who's a vet, when you have the, uh, the veterans and residents, you have shift fellows, you start to spin that flywheel. Yeah. I'm super excited just because of like the density of like what's happening in some of these WeWork buildings. I think that there's, I think, I think almost like a lot of people didn't know what a WeWork is. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you're, you know, military is relatively like siloed thing. You're like, wait, it's like a office building where people all go and like work together. But they don't work at the same company. Yeah, no, totally. It's, it's one of the opportunities we're most excited about just because they're in this category of company that has identified specific roles where not only do they think military skills translate, but they think they are compelling. And it's like you get a little bit of a boost for having a military background. So I, I love finding opportunities like that. Well, in true startup fashion, you actually have to run to an investor. <laughs> but uh, it's been awesome having you. And uh, last question, what's next for Shift? We're thinking about like, you know, what makes our current fellowship program work really, really well? Like what are the things that we're, we figured out a thing or two about is helping people discover what might be next for them, what they qualify for today, what they might qualify for tomorrow if they just you know close a small skills gap. Then the other thing is career services, talent development, really just like access to a wide network of opportunities. We, uh, we underestimated how strong the military network is. We underestimated how strong the veteran network is and how willing people are to help prep other people and internally refer other people. So when we think about like getting to scale, you know, there's some of these ways to get to scale and to help more people get jobs that are outside of software. Like there are alumni networks, internal referral networks that are like desperate to help out the moment that they get their career situation figured out. So what's next for Shift is continuing to make sure that the fellows program is at least an option for folks as they separate from military service, if they want to get into a big city where we're mostly focused right now, some of the major metropolitan job markets, and if they can make it work with their family situation, with their, you know, figuring out what they want to do next, it kind of forces you to really start thinking about what you want to do next early in the process. And that doesn't work for everybody. So I want to make sure that we have more opportunities in the cities where people want to work. And two, think about what else could we do to serve the military community with respect to pulling out some of those core components of the fellowship program that work, like discovery, like talent development, like career services. Mike, I love it. Thanks for hanging out. Cool, man. Good to see you. Thank you again to WeWork. Veterans and Residents is a partnership of WeWork and Bunker Labs. Veterans and Residents is a six-month startup incubator and leadership program that provides veteran and military family members the community, business support, and a workspace to help launch and grow their businesses. To learn more about WeWork and the Veterans and Residents program, visit we.co slash veterans. That is we.co slash veterans. Find your tribe, create your life's work. Learn more 
at we.co slash veterans. This podcast was created by the team at Mission. If you want to hear more from Mission, be sure to check out mission.org. There's nothing small about your business. That's why Dell Small Business Technology Advisors are ready to give you trusted advice, one-on-one partnership, and tailored tech solutions like computers with Intel Core processors. Call 877 by dell to speak to an advisor today.